This morning, I'll be touching just base with you just a little bit in regard to our 13 for 13, and I'll bring you up to date on that as well, but you can still bring me down just a little on the monitors if you would. Thank you. If you would please turn in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. And uh, it is, again, great to have our guests with us. It's great to have the board members uh, from a ministry out of Kenmore that helps those with addictions. And so thank you for being with us today, and we are blessed to have you with us. We're blessed to celebrate in what God is doing in your life, and I just cannot wait to hear more about what's happening in that ministry. Uh, I love when people come to church and then I say, hey, do you got a brochure? Nope. I'm like, oh, they're just like me. People ask me all the time, you got a brochure? Some of the best brochures are words of your own testimony, right? Come on. And, uh, you know, so God, God wants us to kind of uh, share our stories with people. And so I hope and pray that what is happening in and through that ministry, that God is continuing to bless this fine couple that are with us today. As well, First um, Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twenty-six. So here we are, and we're speaking on bravery. We've been talking about being courageous. Last week, uh, we understood uh, the conquest uh, of what took place with the military as Joshua went marching around those walls of Jericho, and uh, and what God did in this tremendous defeat in that city. And, uh, and now we're in chapter 7 of Joshua, and the children of Israel are still basking in the glow of this great event. But verse 1 tells us that God was upset with the people. They thought they were standing on the edge of a great string of victories that would see them conquering the entire land of promise. Yet what they didn't know at this point was that there was a huge problem, a real problem. There was sin in the camp. There was one in the midst who was causing a problem for the entire family of God. And today, church, I'm going to be talking to you about sin. Sin? But isn't that kind of what you touch base on? No, we're going to nail it today. We're going to talk about sin and about a man who outwardly, inwardly, cognitively, took something after God commanded, don't do it. And it reminds me so much of us. You know, as little people, you know, our parents say, please do not do that. You will get hurt. Please do not touch that hot stove. It will burn your hand. But we feel in our humanistic uh, life and perspective of and our nature is just to experiment and experience whatever we can so we can't wait to touch that hot burner to see if our flesh will just stick right to it that's really not the case but we experience it and then all of a sudden you realize that's hot i can never do that again when i caught on fire as a young man i realized just the consequences of fire you know we grew up in edinburgh ohio and uh, in Edinburgh back in the day, wasn't many years ago, but it sure seems like it was, uh, some 40 years ago, my mom told me, son, let your brother burn the trash. 
And uh, so we would separate the cans from the trash. You always burnt the trash. And I don't know, for those that lived out in the country, that was the days before we had the city services. But uh, my mom said, you know, just go out there and watch them. Well, a jug, a milk jug had blown up in that fire and landed on my chest and caught me on fire. And that is something I'll never forget as long as I live is burn up all this, my hands because I went like this. My brother jumped on me, and I had actually stood away from the fire probably from the front of this wall to the back of that wall. For whatever reason, um, I think that's when God started getting a hold of me. And so I've been afraid of hell ever since. And uh, (laughs) I got a real good taste of that. Don't ever want to experience that ever again. And so, uh, you know, when, when you catch on fire, that's something that you'll never, ever want to do ever again. But when you mess with fire, When you dabble in sin, see, here's what happens. It causes a ripple effect that hurts everyone. It hurts the family. It hurts the congregation. It hurts the community. And here today, we have saying no to drugs. And we realize that it's it's easy for people to say, just say no. But if you have an addictive chromosome, it's harder than you realize. It isn't just saying no. It's a daily living by faith experience. And the only one that really offers that hope is Jesus Christ. But let's be real here. It still affects us families, doesn't it? Addictions are real, church. It's real. And it affects, I believe, every family now today more than it ever has. But I'm here to tell you this today. Sin is sin. This is the temple of God. He says, be careful to defile the temple. And even though we know what we're doing and and some of the actions, remember, an action causes a reaction. And I know even in my own family's life what heroin addiction will do and how it affects those around us because you'll steal and you'll do things to be able to feed that addiction. But it still affects everybody. And here's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. He was talking about the body of Christ. And, and in there, here's what he says. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First the apostles, prophets, teachers, and I'm just going down through and skipping some things. And who's do miracles, healing, those who can help others, gift of leadership and languages. I'm not going to continue, but I'm going to stop right there. Because what you see here is when one member of the body has a problem, the entire body has a problem, right? When one is happy, the others rejoice. Kimberly went this week. She had hip surgery. Many of you prayed for her. We went through that. You experienced, you know, oh, man, it's great to see you here today, Kimberly, as the Lord's been gracious with you as you've gone through surgery and now you're here today. But as a body of Christ, you rejoice, either pray for that person or you praise with that person. But it affects the whole body. But what we realize is that this, what you do truly does affect the body. And today my desire in preaching this message is that each of you would search your hearts and examine your life. When we allow sin into our lives, and when we try to hide our sins and try to cover it up, we bring pain and trouble into our lives. And I want you to turn back to Joshua chapter 7. 
Joshua chapter 7, we're going to be reading there this morning as we continue in this, this book of, uh, of being courageous and what Joshua is doing and how he's leading the children of Israel. But there was a man who, was, who suffered with this. His name was Achan. Many of us have a spirit of Achan. Today I'm, I labeled a prescription for an Achan-breaking heart. That was original. Not really. Okay. I almost got over, don't tell my heart, my achy-breaky heart. I, would that have gotten your attention? So I was going to say there's a prescription for an Achan-breaking heart. And so, you know, I thought that had kind of a, a cool ring to it. And, and as we talk about him, because I thought, started thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute. So here's a guy, God speaks to the children of Israel, says you can go ahead and take Jericho, but don't take the contents that are in there. They are not yours. You know, come on. And, and I realize, and I'm not going to go backwards to go forward, but we realize that in this text... And even in chapter 6, right before we get into 7, he starts to say something took place. Somebody went into Jericho. They took something that wasn't theirs. And now there are consequences for your actions. But what's interesting here, as you'll see in the scriptures, is that as we move forward, that because of one person's sin... One's person, one person who decided to take something and God purposely said, listen, I will give you the city as a city that is, is mighty. You heard me say last week, two walls. And yet when they marched around them, not just six times, but seven times, as they marched around it on the seventh day, God could have done all kinds of things, but it was in that waiting period, period that you really thought that the children of Israel would have really got a grip on what was going on, right? Okay, wait a minute. Our faith is being restored. We just crossed the River Jordan. We saw, we've, we've experienced all of the things that the prophet Moses had to say. Now his successor Joshua is leading us. And here we are marching around these walls. And that seventh, time, seventh day, seven times around, they started shouting and the walls just collapsed. Was that a God story or what? But what ends up happening is... In that time, I think sometimes in our waiting period, we start to compromise. Sometimes time has a way of playing tricks on our mind. You can go ahead and shut the air down if you would, please, Cindy. Thank you. And are you okay? Are you comfortable? No? Because I could keep it nice and cold in here. But I think our mind has a tendency to do just this. To play games with us. And it's during those quiet moments that that stinking thinking starts to take place in our lives. Because you see, Satan never leaves us alone. He's always there to trip us up. He's always there to discourage us. He's always there to tempt us. He's always there to make sure that we're not doing what we should do in Christ. And so the premise to our Christian life is to hear the voice of God and to react upon his prompting in our life. So we look here right in the very beginning. Point number one, we notice that there was a painful defeat. And we're just going to take this and kind of break it down this morning. But let's back up into, into chapter six. 
in verse 26, it says, At the time Joshua invoked this curse, may the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho at the cost of his firstborn son. He will lay its foundations at the cost of his youngest son. He will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. Verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very, 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 very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribes of Judah. We notice in verse 2, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out at the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethhaven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. Verse 4. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. And they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear and this turn of events and their courage melted away. See, Israel became a confident people. Israel was still basking in the glow of their victory at Jericho and they looked at Ai and felt that little town would be no problem for such a great victory. But when you take a closer look here to verse 3, you find out that all of a sudden they became overly confident. They felt like just a few of the soldiers are needed to secure a victory in this town. And these people were guilty of resting on their laurels. Israel didn't realize it, but they're living through one of the most dangerous times of their life. You see, and, and many of you have probably experienced this, but directly following a spiritual victory, it becomes a very, very dangerous time in your walk. Often like Israel, we will be overconfident and believe that we can handle any battle that comes our way. I like what Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall and a proud spirit before stumbling. So you see, so often God is growing in you, in your walk with him, or God is growing a church. You'd better watch out because Satan is on his way. Confidence is a good thing as long as one's confidence is in the right place. As long as your confidence is in God, we have to be careful. God is on the move. Do you know why I say that? Because I see it. It's evident. Not Todd's on the move. New Hope's on the move. No. God is on the move. God was on the move with the Israelites until they decided to become overly proud and confident. How many of you have said, oh, look at me. Look what God's done. Got me this new job. I did this and I did that. And... Things are going so great for him, and all of a sudden, things just crash. You became overly confident. Now listen, when you become a Christian, you relinquish, you now sacrifice and surrender your will to his will. 
So this morning, if you've been contemplating what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, God's will is that you would live a holy and righteous life. What does he say in his word? Be holy for I am holy. But in verses 4 and 5, we notice that Israel was a conquered people. When Israel went up to Ai, they suffered a terrible defeat and 36 of their men were killed. Now, when you look at this and you looked at their actions, it's easy to see that they made several mistakes. Many mistakes that many of us have made and were guilty of making those same mistakes as well. Notice in here that there was nowhere in the passage... Does it even hint that Joshua and the people of Israel sought the will of God for dealing with Ai? You see, if they had prayed, God would have revealed the problem before people died. If they would have just said, God, listen, I'm sitting down here. The Omani choir was singing. Sam gets up and he starts speaking. I don't, I don't know that I remember much of anything else. All I remember is hearing these people need shoes. Well, I'm here to tell you that I just didn't jump up and go, we're having a shoe ministry. That week I went home and I said, God, was that my sympathy, my compassion? Was that my heart just breaking for so many people that are in pain? God, will you just impress upon the people of our church and just impress upon their hearts? I want to follow your will. And it was directly after that that Beth and I were talking and many other people came up and were, were saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Leslie's like, I got the box, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to... And before you know it, everything was put together. We had a name and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, man, this is happening so fast, it's unbelievable. Because you see, my, re, my action caused a reaction. And that's what took place with Aiken. Aiken's action caused a reaction. Let me show you here. So as we continue, here's the serious thought. It is better to consult God before we make the mistake than it is to expect him to clean up our messes afterwards. It's best to go to God before than after. Listen, one of the hardest things when starting a church, I had to go before God and say, Hey, God, you want, we're going to start a church. What is it that you want? We're going to have a church. I'm going to be a pastor of that. I've been an associate pastor. You want me to be a senior pastor of a church? Okay. I had to go before him and pray about it because I wanted to make sure it was his will, not mine. If God be for us, who shall be against us? But here's a thought that I, that I really want to share with you. What did they do when they marched around those city walls? God told him, I want you to take something. I want you to take my presence. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant before you. So last week when we saw in the scriptures, they took the Ark of the Covenant. They took the presence of God and they marched around that city. That's who went before him. Now, do you believe those in Jericho knew what the Ark of the Covenant was? Do you know they already heard who Moses was. Now they're hearing stories about who Joshua is. So sad that in our Christian circles, 
people hear stories about us. Are they good stories? Are they bad stories? Are they indifferent stories? But if God goes before us, you see the correlation? Before us, then nothing shall be against us. So they went into the battle in their own strength and they failed. And because they didn't have the ark with them, they did it in their own power, in their own way, in their own will. You see, we try to live the Christian life, fight the flesh and Satan in our own power, and we fail time after time after time because we do not take the time to strengthen our walk with God. When we are walking with the Lord and His Word, as we should be, He will go with us into the battle and face our enemies on our behalf. You know, as a, as a pastor, and this is really my heart, I think many of us pastors uh, become so pompous and built up and proud, and uh, we just have a, a sense of, look what I've done. We haven't done nothing. God's done everything. And I think we have a tendency to so often, even in our own Christian life, you know, look at what I have, look at what I drive, look at the material things I have. You have what you have because God's been good to you and given it to you. You know, we don't have the sanctuary because of what I did, what the board did, what the deacon of the chairman board over. No, we have this because what we did as a body. And that's what was so important about this is that Israel had to do it together. But because of one person's mistake, it affected everybody. So this morning, are you doing things in your own will, your own way, and your own strength? Have you cried out to God and said, God, I need you today. I am as weak as can be. I have a hang-up. I have a hurt. I have a habit. I need your help. And I need it bad. This mic's about ready to drive me crazy. And... uh let me just fix it here, folks. And so, um, but, but when you look at the scriptures here, Israel was a confused people. You saw in verse 5, it says that they were a, confound, a confounded or confused people. After their terrible defeat at the hands of Ai, the people of Israel are feeding the same fear that their enemies experienced. This is one of the problems with sin. It defeats you and leaves you feeling just like a lost man. Nothing is right in the life of a believer while there is sin in the midst. Israel didn't know at this point what was wrong. But thankfully, God wants his people to have the victory, not the defeat. So he takes the necessary steps to reveal to the nation of Israel just exactly where the problem lies. Hmm. Isn't it amazing? God loves us so much. Just like a parent, he loves us so much that here's what ends up happening. We try to do things and say things to stop our children from making bad choices and wrong decisions. We, we put up every red flag, every roadblock. We try so hard to help them to not stumble and to sin, and yet sometimes they can't help it because they're doing things on their own laurels their own way because they say i'm doing this my way not god's way so people sometimes journey down the highway and it's not so good and i believe that that's exactly what started to take place here until we see verses 6 through 15 
there was a painful discovery. And in verse 6, it says this. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. I'm sorry, that was chapter 6. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Chapter 7, verses 6 through 15. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their, ch- their clothing in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you are going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? Wow. Let's just stop and ponder on that thought. What will happen to the honor of your great name? So Joshua and the elders, they reacted in prayer. After the tragedy happened, Joshua and the elders find themselves before the Lord in prayer And their prayer was from a broken heart. There's also a hint of anger and accusation against the Lord. But they're going to learn that prayer is the correct recourse in a time of trouble. But the prayer will avail nothing until sin has been dealt with. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Joshua wonders why Israel was powerless in the battle. The answer wasn't to blame God or to dispute his will. The answer was in their own camp. Now listen, after we have made decisions that brought with them terrible consequences, it is never the right time to accuse God of anything. When there is a defeat in our lives, we need to look within and see where the problem is, where the problem lies. When there is defeat in the church and souls are not being saved and the services are dull and lifeless, we need not blame the Lord. Because I can assure you that the problem is always within. The problem was within. Let's continue. Verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up! I like what it says in the New Living Translation. Get up! Exclamation point. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Verse 14. In the morning you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. 
that tribe must come forward and its clans. And the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has. For he has broken the covenant, the agreement of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. It's amazing to me to think that as God was looking at this text, he starts to rehearse the problem. And while Joshua and Israel try to figure out what is happening, God in heaven already knows and tells Joshua all about what is going on. He tells him there that is, there is sin in the camp of Israel. That it is the sin that is hindering his power and it is what is bringing about their defeat. He also tells Joshua how to discover the guilty party in these words to Joshua. And so then right after that, God gives us some insight into sin of which we need to take note. I'm going to allow just a few minutes here because of time and then I'm going to go into the rest of my message next week. But I'm going to highlight these, and I want to share these seven observations concerning sin and the effects in our lives. Number one, God knows about our sins. Isn't that what he said in verse 11? He saw what was going on. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord in every place, watching the evil and the good. God hates our sin, number two. God has a plan for our sins. God will punish our sins, verse 15. Galatians 6, 9 also says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Number five, sin affects those around us. Your sins and mine have the ability to drastically lower the spiritual temperature of the church. We are all one body, and what affects you affects me. Number six, sin hinders God's work. Matthew 13, 58 says, because of their unbelief, he stopped the works. Number seven, sin must be dealt with. Either you and I will deal with our sins or God will deal with them. But one way or another, they will be dealt with. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Often the greatest problems faced by the church come from within and not from without. You see, it is not the water on the outside of the boat that causes the problems. It is the water on the inside of the boat that causes troubles. We see the story of the Titanic. We understand the story of the Titanic. They went in their own will, in their own way, thought in their own... There won't be anything that will ever sink the Titanic. And God said, oh, you forgot about me. I'm the one who's in control. See... Their proud heart caused this to happen. And isn't it such a shame that one man's sentence affected the lives of many? And in closing, and I'll continue next week through this passage, but I really want you to take to heart what the scriptures have to say. And this morning, when you look at the life of Achan, And I realized that Achan was a man who took something, and we're getting ready to dive into that. He took something that wasn't his. 
But today when we leave on this note, what I love about this part of the passage is that he cried out to God. Had a woman once say to me, why? Why would God take my loved one? Why would God do that to him? Why would God do that to her? We shake our fists in anger. And during this time, I only have a couple minutes here as I close, but during this time, many of you have seen on Facebook, and you've watched on Facebook the pastor in California that took his life. It has been something that has been discussed across the United States of America and is hitting homes around the world. This young man decided to take on the pastor of his father. And he, knowing that he dealt with depression, knowing that he dealt with mental illness, knowing that all of these things that that he dealt with, he said, I've got to take a sabbatical. I have to take a break. The Lord took his dad's life at 55 years of age of cancer. And I'm sure that during that time of grieving and mourning, depression started to set in. I know that feeling. I've experienced it with my own father and the death of my father. Man, we think they live forever. We want to make memories with our families forever. But God is in control. And I even knew that even with my own dad's passing, yeah, Dad came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but, but Dad also had an addiction. Addiction to cigarette smoking. And on there it says, the Surgeon General says this will cause cancer, and cancer took his life. An action caused a reaction. I can't tell you what this young man was going through. Why his heart was breaking. What was going on behind the scenes? Maybe nothing. But I know this, that he needed help. And even with pastors, those pastors that are out there that are going through discouragement, that are going through some anxiety, that are going through feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. You know, the world, there's so much expectation put on pastors. It's unbelievable. Because Satan never leaves the man of God alone. So the five-year-old little dude, which was his son, this was posted on an article this week on Instagram. He said to this pastor's wife, his mother, Why didn't daddy tell me goodbye? We don't know why he didn't say goodbye. Because he was crying out for help. And I know that many of us feel that, oh, pastors, you know, they walk with God, they talk with God. Sure. But we face the same humanistic adversities that each and every one of you face. Because Satan hates me. He hates my guts. 
He hates me because at 15 years old, well, let me back up to nine. I got saved at nine, baptized at 13, called to preach, surrendered to preach at 15. He hates my guts because he hates my father, my heavenly father, who's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, who's all powerful, all knowing. He's everywhere all the time. He knows all things and his name is God. Church, Satan is against us. And today's your day of delivery. And if you've been battling with some hang-ups, some habits, some hurts, get rid of them. Come to Christ. Let Him help you. Let Him restore you. Let Him give you life and give it abundantly. Next week as we unveil... This young man who decided to take what wasn't his and faced probably one of the greatest sins because God had given him a command to not to do something and he did it because he couldn't help himself. And there are always consequences for our actions. But there's always hope in our Savior. And that is the premise of this story. God will always restore you if you'll just come to Him. And a man say to me, I'm not ever walking back in that church. I'm not good enough. Well, neither am I, dear friend. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. The Bible also says in that same chapter of Romans 3, for all have sinned, for all have lied, for all have coveted, for all have taken things that aren't theirs, and you've fallen short from the glory of God. I want you to walk away today, church, feeling, you know what, I can come to Him. I can confess my sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse me from all my unrighteousness, from all of the junk in my trunk, from all the crap in my trap. I mean, from whatever else, I know this, God is faithful because he loves you and he cares for you because that's our God. Will you come to him today? Will you come to the God of second chances? Will you come to the God of third chances? Will you come to the God of fourth chances? Because he wants to restore you. He wants you to, to feel a sense of reconciliation and life and hope. So what do we learn from this ache and breaking heart? We learn that there's always hope in a God who hears and who heals. That's our God. Isn't that comforting? So when you feel like there's no hope, oh, there's new hope. And his name is Jesus. Let's all stand. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, this morning that we can come before you. And if there are some in here that have been struggling, Father, today we pray for deliverance. Father, we pray that you will work in the lives and hearts of these people. God, even in the lives of, of so many, the, and, and Lord, we just ask that you will please just deliver 
God, we are here. We are here as a body. Lord, you said in your word, when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one is in pain, we're all in pain. Father, for we feel it and we're part of your body. And so, God, today, may your spirit move. And if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they come to the saving grace of Jesus. And, God, for those that might be listening, maybe today was the day when they were were just teetering on taking their life. There is hope. We don't know the rest of the story. But God, you do. We know that there's hope. We know that as we continue to live in sin, that Lord, it separates us from that fellowship that we have with you. But God, we thank you that we can come to you. And that you will lift us up. Just like you did the prodigal. You'll wipe the tears from our eyes. And Lord, you'll heal us and you'll help us. Oh God, deliver us today. Bring us back to you. Bless the people that are here. And God, if you've moved in the life of one person today, this altar calls for them. Help them, Lord. Deliver them. In Jesus' holy name we pray.